family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Two hours of improvisational conversation, plus jazz, street philosophy, and some surprises. Doug Grunther, your host, along with my favorite co-host, co-co-favorite co-host, I should say. He's my favorite today because Victoria's not here. <laughs> That's right. But Ron Van Warmer's back. He was on vacation last week. We'll catch up with his vacation experiences. We're also going to talk about, here's a question for you. I was very surprised by the answer. What is the most frequently used noun in the English language? Now, not pronoun. Pronoun, we know I would be it, right? Noun. I'll give you a clue. It's something we're all concerned with. And it's something none of us know that much about. Hmm. Now, how can the most frequently used word in English language be something we know little about? Stay tuned. Also, there's a legitimate fear and concern about reopening schools during COVID-19. New York State is poised to open, one of the few states that's going to be opening statewide. And there are legitimate safety concerns. However, there is something in thousands of public schools that is causing more harm to children's health than the coronavirus. I'll give you a hint. It comes out of a machine. Stay tuned. We'll have street philosophy from Patrick Carlin, jazz from the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini, and we'll open up the Woodstock Roundtable jukebox. So inject yourself with whatever gets you motivated in the morning. Fasten your seatbelts and join us for the Woodstock Roundtable. Barely made it through another introduction. I know. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. (laughs) Welcome back, Ron. Thank you very much. Intriguing topics today. Yes. I've got to think about those, both of them. Before we do that, we'll get to the the practical. Uh Uh-huh. Because that's not my favorite. Practical things are not my favorite and not what I'm best at. But (laughs) before we dive into the abyss of, uh, of interesting but... Mm, complex topics. Let's get uh-huh. to something simple. Uh, I've talked about this many times. Uh, one of the things I have not screwed up in my life are vacations. Uh-huh. Uh, whereas most people I know totally screw up vacations. And the reason is they forget the important root meaning of the word. Vacate. Vacate. And yet what do most people do? They make <laughs> these detailed, intricate schedules and plans, right, mm-hmm. for their vacations. And then when the universe shows up and nature shows up and their plans don't work out, they, there's all kinds of freakouts and difficulties, right? Yeah. The purpose of a vacation is to vacate. Exactly. Give your mind a chance to regenerate. At least that's one of the purposes. I mean, we uh, uh, we might be going 
some place to learn about something and things like that. But basically, the purpose of a vacation is to vacate. And most people come back from vacations <laughs> more stressed Exhausted. Out than when they left. Yeah. But I have a funny feeling you and Hester pulled it off. Well, I think we did a pretty good job. You know, we thought about what we were going to do. Last year, we went to Italy. So obviously, this year, with that kind of trip was out of the question. Yes. And when we went to Italy, we went and uh, we booked a hotel uh, for 10 nights, not knowing quite what we were going to do when we got there. We just said, well, let's just go there and we'll just do whatever smart there is to do, you know, and uh, ended up eating a lot. Good idea. Which is a great uh, vacation thing to do anyway. So this year we thought, well, what are we going to do? Uh, COVID is out there in the world. We can't go to Europe. We can't, uh, you know, even going to other states because some states you can't come back to New York and go right back to work right. because you've got a quarantine for two weeks. Right. So we thought, well, let's do something different. So we, uh, and, and honestly, camping and Hester and Ron are not three words I ever thought I would put together. I don't put those together very well either. <laughs> so we rented a luxury RV hmm. and uh, drove up to the Adirondacks By for, the way, for that's, seven that days. That sounds to me like an oxymoron. Luxury RV? Luxury RV. Oh, my God. It was everything. We had a, a bedroom, a bathroom, a kitchen, um, televisions, uh, I mean, everything that you could want. There's a generator in the RV, so you've always got power, because we didn't go where we could plug into anything. Uh-huh. We went to camping grounds, state camping grounds, and, and uh, there's no power. You know, you have to uh, fill the water tank uh, to have water. And uh, we did that, and... It was it was about a I don't know I think it's about a thirty foot uh, rig that I was driving. Wow! And uh, it like was Ralph Cramden. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a good time. We went to places that uh, we we drove through small towns and and small roads and managed to navigate all of that and back into camping sites, which was a thrill. <laughs> don't want to do that too often, but I, I managed to do it without uh, damaging the uh, the RV in any way. And you know what we did? We brought along a lot of good food. We brought a case of wine, and uh, we we cooked on a campfire, and we 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 roasted marshmallows. We did everything you're supposed to do when you go camping. <laughs> we would sit outside, and there were no insects. Really, none. I we brought all this insect stuff you know these little machines that spray uh, insect repellent and we never we never used any of them there were no insects we sat outside at night every night till 10 o'clock around the campfire and no insects mm. I, and, and I, I don't know quite what that was <laughs> probably because you can't do that probably the, a bad sign you can't do that in the catskills of the earth yeah <laughs> so uh, yeah it turned out to be really really a lot of fun and something uh, knowing now what i know and and uh, you know, there were things that uh, weren't as good as they could have been. But now that I know what those are, I would do what it would again. What would be one example? Um, the batteries in the RV weren't very good. So you would charge them up and they would last about half an hour instead of a day. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to keep the generator going more than I would have uh, would have liked. Okay, that's but that's that's deal. You could deal with that. Yeah. Uh, good weather. It's good. And uh, no, that's cool. I could see it. I, I've. I haven't told this story in a long time. Um, I am not a camper. Yeah, me. And uh, but when um, when I first hooked up with the woman I ended up living with for twenty two years, for some reason we decided. I'm still trying to figure out what motivated it. Um, 
to go. We wanted. We, we got intrigued with Nova Scotia. I always loved Maine. Oh, uh-huh. I said, let's go past Maine. We'll go to Nova Scotia. I saw the ferries kind of fun uh-huh. from Maine to Nova Scotia. And we'll camp. Yeah. And I don't know why I agreed to that. <laughs> oh, I, know, I, I, know, I know why I agreed to it. Because, because my girlfriend was good at practical stuff like setting up tents. Okay. I have no clue how to set up a tent. Don't ask me to. Don't ask me to read the instructions. It's just not going to work out well. Yeah. My idea it turns camping. into a Laurel and Hardy movie every time. I open the door on this rig and the, the, uh, the steps automatically go down. More my style. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know what motivated me, but I'm into it. And uh, we get there. And all I remember is while Joan was setting up the tent, I was hitting golf balls. <laughs> I was chipping golf balls in the campground. Nice. And we did what, what I call Jewish camping. Uh-huh. Uh, Jewish camping, in my definition, is you commune with nature by sleeping in a tent. And I did like the idea of wait. I liked, I liked the idea of waking up in nature. That uh-huh. the smell of the air, the dew, all that stuff. That that part I liked. But the Jewish camping part is forget this campfire roasting. No, no. We, we found the best <laughs> restaurant ah. <laughs> within within a half right. hour and went there for meals. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a way to do it too. That's but my idea of camping. We had we had a stove. We had a refrigerator and a freezer. Yeah, see, now I would do that because I love cooking. My friends didn't tell, they told me I wasn't camping, I was glamping. Glamping. Yeah. Which is actually a cool, now we got to ask Google. There's a, we're going to, and we're going to get to what I teased with at the opening, which is the most frequently used noun in English language, which is going to surprise some people. Yeah. It's going to get us into a pretty interesting discussion about it because it's something we're all concerned with. Okay. And yet we know very little about it. Huh. However, before we get to that, Intriguing. there is a term, which I am forgetting, for a word which is created, oh, it begins with a P. It's, my brain is starting to pick it up. I think it begins with a P. It's a, it's, it's a word, for, it's the name of a word which is created by squishing together two other words. Ah, yes. So glamping is a great example of that. Glamour and camping, glamping. Right. Right. So what do we call that? Um, is it a... Whew. I think it begins... Well, I don't know why the it's letter P pro, is standing up. From, yeah. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to... See if you can... See if, let's see. See if Google knows. Hey, Google. Glamping is an example of what? <laughs> Six beautiful examples of architect design glamping. The Humpy Daintree. No, no, no. I don't want to hear about <laughs> glamping. I, I, it, see, I didn't ask the question right. Um, a portmanteau. Yes, very good. Now, you see, this is so interesting. How does the brain do that? I don't know. By the Mine way, doesn't I, do it I, I as could, well as it used to. I could be wrong. Let's, hey, Google, what is a portmanteau? Here's the definition of portmanteau. A large trunk or suitcase, typically made of stiff leather. And what? <laughs> now, here we go. Second meaning. What's the second meaning? It's a word blending the sounds and combining the meanings of two others. Uh-huh. So let's th- think of an example. I couldn't come up with one right away. Here's one we don't even think of as a portmanteau. 
motel. Oh, yeah, motor. Motor, and car, and hotel. hotel. Yeah. Um, brunch. Right. Very good. Brunch is a portmanteau. Um, why portmanteau? Portmanteau is French. Port is a door. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, um, let's get some more here. Okay. Uh, hey, Google. Oh, shit. <laughs> come on. Come on. Come on. Get out of there. Get bit, bit, bit. Okay. Hey, Google. Give us some examples of portmanteau. According to Britannica, examples in English include chortle, smog, brunch, mockumentary, and spork. A portmanteau is a suitcase that opens a door. <laughs> no, forget the suitcase. I'm not interested in the suitcase. She's into the suitcase. She's into the suitcase. Yeah. All right. Chortle is a great word. Chortle. Yeah. Chuckle and snort. <laughs> Chortle. Smog. Smoke and fog. Brunch, breakfast and lunch. Mockumentary. Yeah, that's a good one. Now, I never heard of spork. Spork is a spoon and a fork. It's a spoon with little uh, fork things at the end is of it. something you do when you glamp? Yeah, you could. You usually find them uh, in, <clears throat> in plastic. Oh, okay. I was not familiar. Yeah, well, you don't camp. With sporking. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, portmanteau... Bam! Out of the brain. I love that. Yeah, that's good. That was pretty good. All right. So, so good. You had you had, you had fun. Yeah, we did. We had a really good time and and a relaxing time because we didn't really have any plans and we just went and did. That's the way to vacate. Yeah, yeah. It was very good. Well done. Okay, so um, the most frequently used now. I never would have gotten this one. Well, this is interesting because my <clears throat> since you mentioned it, my head has been spinning. And because you brought it up, I thought, hmm, I wonder if it's something related to the internet or computer, maybe. Well, because, yeah, I'm interested in, in how our brains are becoming digitalized, <laughs> which yeah. is happening. And I think for the most part, it's an evolutionary leap forward. But like all evolutionary leaps forward, it has consequences, difficulties, because we're still stuck in a print mentality. Um, and so our brains are struggling to make the transition from print to digital, even though we can still use both effectively. All uh -huh. right. With so, that. So computer was the word I came up with as a noun that would be so universal. Well, it's not, it's the most frequently used. Yeah. It never would have occurred to me. I just, this was the first sentence in an interesting article I was reading last night. It's part of a BBC series. And the woman who I'm going to check out uh, uh, more about her work, Claudia Hammond, uh, writes about psychology. And she writes really well because the subject she writes about is probably as complex as there is. Uh-huh. People. The, is it yeah, but the, 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 the title of her, <laughs> of her article is What We Get Wrong About Time. Ah, and the first line of the essay is, time is the most frequently used noun in the English time. language. That's interesting. Now, we know almost nothing about it. Yeah, right. But we and never have reason, enough. The reason is, is because is two, there's two main reasons. We have been taught 
both by our school system and our culture not to think too deeply about the, the <laughs> mysteries of time uh-huh. because here's another guess this this i knew why were clocks invented what was their first purpose and use hmm i'm not sure does google know hey, <laughs> I'll, I'll let her tell you <laughs> you know hey google why were clocks first invented? According to Wikipedia, mechanical clocks became widespread in the 14th century when they were used in medieval monasteries to keep the regulated schedule of prayers. Ah. Makes sense, right? Sure. So now, right then and there, in that sense, thank you, by the way, whatever her name is, um, the, the yin and yang of, of the way we use time, the positive and the negative, Boom, squished together just like a portmanteau. Uh-huh. Because the positive thing is, okay, if if you are a monk in a monastery and praying is important to you and praying in collaboration with others is important to you as it is in a monastery, right? Mm-hmm. It's really useful to have a mechanism by which everyone knows when to show up. Right. So so that's why they put clocks in church towers. Correct. So there's a positive. But now what's the other side? And of course, this is where my Aquarian brain leaps forward, which is, yes, it was positive, but the church, lead, I was going to say the church owners, the leaders of the church used it as a mechanism to what? Control people. Mm-hmm. And still do. And still do, as does our culture. So, on the one hand, our clocks allow societies to function. Right. All right, we got, in the United States, we got 330 million people. Um, we, we live, even if we live in a small town, there's thousands of people and thousands of things that have to happen at the same time without everyone crashing into each other. <laughs> so, yeah. so, in that sense... Um, I think someone's definition of time was nature's way of preventing things from crashing together or whatever it is. So, yes, I get it. We're taught that time is linear. Right. We're taught that it's sequential. It moves from past to present to future. Okay? And that's why analog clocks have a different effect on us than digital clocks. Correct. But both of them give us a totally false and very limited experience of reality because nature ain't sequential yeah and nature ain't lineal linear it's more cyclical and spiral right so we understand the advantages of the clock the practical example the left hemisphere likes that okay we're going to get organized here and without clocks our societies would not be working as efficiently and effective. But we've taken efficiently and we've run it into the ground <laughs> at the expense of things like intuition, creativity, uh, spiritual essence, uh, depth psychology, dreams, um, and creative leaps. And uh, that's the right hemisphere of the brain. So I'll never forget, there was a woman, I do forget her name, but I had a guest on a... Um, my show I was doing here 35 years ago. 
She was a psychologist. And she was a very soft-spoken kind of um, undemonstrative woman. Uh-huh. And so I pre-interviewed her and was a little concerned it might not be interesting. She was fabulous. And what she had, what she talked about were 17 ways to improve your intuition. Now, I don't remember most of the 17 from 35 years ago. But I remember three. One of them I took to heart immediately. She said, to improve your intuition, stop wearing a watch. Hmm. Which I did. Uh I was never that into watches. But if you think about it, now, of course, today it's a little less relevant because we have cell phones, which are also clocks. So it'll be in our pocket. But think about it. I, I th- This is how I think about it. A wristwatch, and I understand some people wear it as jewelry, but don't get me yeah. started on that. <laughs> um, but I understand people, they're, they're beautiful looking watches. Yeah. I get it. But think about what it's doing to your brain on an unconscious level. When on your body, on your skin, staring you in the face every time you, and of course, it's there, so you tend to look at it all the time, is a mechanism that is literally locking you in to a perception of time that is very limited. Mm -hmm. It's practical, it's useful, but it's limited. Now, of course, today we don't need that watch as much as we would have 35 years ago. Right. But I did fine at least in my way, because of the way I live my life, I did fine without wearing a watch. Yeah, I stopped wearing a watch about uh, eight years ago. I think I find it much more freeing. I have a drawer full of them. Do you really? Yeah, I have, and I, I, I never have none. I never wear them. Yeah, but um, I remember she said, so don't wear a watch if you want to improve your intuition. Uh-huh. The two others I remember, drive a different way to work. Uh-huh. Simple but very effective. We get into habits. We do. And those habits are comforting, but they limit us. Okay. The third one gets really esoteric. The third one is like out of Zen, Buddhist, Taoist (laughs) depths. She said, if you want to improve your intuition, this is so cool. Notice how well things work when you get out of the way. Hmm. That's brilliant. That's interesting. That's The ego doesn't like it, but it's brilliant. And it's true. Huh. I will dwell on it. (laughs) (laughs) For a limited amount of time. Yeah. Um, By the way, dwell sounds like a portmanteau. A well and to drive would be to dwell. Dwell. Yeah. Um. So we'll take our first break because the clock says it's time to do (laughs) that. There you go. And uh, when we come back, we'll read a little more into this article that Claudia Hammond wrote for the BBC website called What We Get Wrong About Time. And it fits into our ongoing discussion of the importance in the 21st century of shifting more of our energy from the left hemisphere to the right hemisphere of the brain. 
Both hemispheres are important, but we're way overloaded in the left, which is the part of our brain that analyzes, breaks things down, puts them together, which is great for understanding things on a certain level. But the left hemisphere of the brain cannot deal with uncertainty. Right. It has to come to a conclusion. It's also very territorial. Yeah. Welcome to why we still fight wars. Um, the right hemisphere of the brain is much more open, intuitive, big picture. It is not as well. It, it cannot tell you as much about the trees, but it can see the forest. Mm. So, and what we get wrong about time locks us into the left hemisphere of the brain. So we'll get into that. And then I asked another question at the opening. Okay. My sister's a high school, public high school teacher, teaches Italian. She's very concerned about going back to schools. Now, uh -huh. in New Jersey, they're not going to, they decided not to reopen. Uh, Murphy reversed his decision. It's going to be virtual to start. New York is scheduled to open. Um, there's a lot of legitimate concerns. I get it. I don't have kids or grandkids. A lot of legitimate concerns about, with, from uh, families and teachers about safety. But there, there are th things in, Tens of thousands of schools that are can be easily proved to be more dangerous to the health of students than COVID nineteen. Hmm. And the, the hint is they come from machines. So we'll get into all that when we come back with more of the Woodstock Roundtable. I detect a synchronicity. Yeah. Okay. First of all, great choice. <laughs> but did you notice the opening of that? I never noticed the opening of that song before. Okay, so play the, the first 10 seconds, and they'll say, how does that connect with the discussion we just had about time? Here we go. Start from the beginning. Okay. What, what does that organ remind you of? Church. Yeah. Wow. That's where clocks were first invented. Wow. Where we're in monasteries. Very cool. To get people to pray on time. Yeah. Now, were, were Keith and Mick thinking about that at the time? <laughs> or their producer? Probably not. But uh -huh. synchronistically? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Uh, this is the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Runther, your host. Co-hosting today, back from glamping vacation, Ron Van Warmer, <laughs> Victoria Sullivan, our illustrious Woodstock Roundtable poet lord, will join us next week. On uh, the second hour, we will check in with the Sultan of Sonic Soul, jazz impresario Gus Mancini. And at the end of this hour, we'll check in with our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin. We'll also open up our Woodstock Roundtable jukebox. So, what were we talking about? Time. Tell you what, before we go to time, I want to get to this other subject. So, schools, right? Everyone's right. concerned, understandably, about COVID and dangers and this and that. Um, 
the irony is that there are things in most schools, about 80% of schools have them, that can be shown through laboratory experimentation are far more dangerous to the children, to children's health than the coronavirus. Hmm. And my hint was they come out of machines. Yeah. And when I was in school, we never had these machines. What machines are we talking about? Ah, I would say soda machines. You got it. And vending machines with yeah. crappy food and stuff, right? You say, well, wait a minute. Come on. How can you compare soda to COVID-19? Watch. From Urology Specialists of the Carolinas. Did you know one in three Americans drink soda on a daily basis? This statistic is easy to disregard, but important to highlight why kidney stones from drinking soda are such a common health issue in many adults today. Huh. Thank the Lord I've never had a kidney stone. No, I haven't either. But people who've had them. I, yeah. And believe me, soda is not just causing kidney stones. We'll get to that. But let's start with the kidney stones. <laughs> in general, most of us understand just how unhealthy soda and other sugary drinks are. Yes and no. We might understand it at a gut level, but we don't really think of soda as dangerous. Right. Today's soda is said to be a leading cause of diabetes, obesity, heart disease, gout, and has negative effects on bone health and can even contribute to premature death. Wow. This is not from some lunatic anti-soda group. These are urologists. And it must contribute to the obesity. Oh, we'll get to that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sodas are filled with unhealthy chemicals, including high levels of processed bleached sugar, mm. phosphoric acid, and high fructose corn syrup. These ingredients are extremely harmful to the body. High fructose corn syrup in particular can metabolize into oxalate and increase excretion of uric acid and calcium. Welcome to kidney stones. Phosphoric acid is another culprit found in the average soda. This chemical creates an acid environment in your kidney tract, enabling kidney stones to form more easily. In addition, sodas are high in caffeine, which encourages chronic dehydration, the most common risk factor for kidney stone formation. Huh. Now, because hydration is key for preventing kidney stones, drink lots of water. Getting off high sugar beverages will help. Um, we recommend consuming any soda in moderation. And if you must, stick to the light citrus types that have less sugar and chemicals. It's best to avoid soda altogether if kidney stones run in your family. Now, I've talked about this, the Buddha's middle ground. When I first, I didn't really get into health and nutrition until I moved to Woodstock in 1978 to help start preparing for this radio, get this radio station, which was delayed. We didn't open until April, as you know, 1980. You were there. Right. And so I used that time to really study health and nutrition, which is a little easier in Woodstock than in New York City or New <laughs> Jersey, where I grew up. And I went too far the other way. My girlfriend at the time would go, this is rabbit food. And she was right. I was cooking from the <laughs> Moosewood cookbook, you know, and it got ridiculous. You know, lots of raw vegetables. So I found the middle ground. Okay. And when you go into health food stores, not so much today, but back then, 
First of all, I don't know why, but a lot of people who worked in health food stores didn't look very healthy because they right. were scared of food. <laughs> so we try to find a way to enjoy the beauty of food and the fabulous taste of good foods and, and yet eat healthy. Not that hard. Just look at what the Mediterraneans do. They've got it down. Uh-huh. As you said, you went to Italy. They yeah. know how to do it. Um, you don't find all the processed food in, in Europe as you do here. We try to sell it to them, but we're not as successful yeah. as we are here, although somewhat successful. Um, but even one can of soda every day is shown to cause significant health issues. In a European study, people who drank one 12-ounce sugar-sweetened soda daily were 18% more likely to develop type 2 diabetes Hmm. compared to those who did not consume soda. People who drank two sodas every day we're 20% more likely to have a stroke. Wow. At some point in their life. Maybe not right away. Right. Okay. Can we get real? You're not going <laughs> to drink a can of soda and all of a sudden have, have a, stroke. a stroke. Okay. It, it adds up. According to research, the average American drinks... Oh, God. <laughs> you don't know whether to laugh or cry, so I'll try to do both. According to research, the average American drinks approximately... <laughs> 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 Check, please. According to research, the average American drinks approximately 56 gallons of soda a year. Wow. Many people choose soft drinks instead of water. Although drinking an occasional soda does not cause health risks, consuming one to two sodas a day will most likely pose health problems at some point. Studies show 56 gallons. Studies show that approximately one in four Americans get at least 200 calories a day from soda. Mm. 40% of children ages 2 to 11 drink at least one soda or sugary drink per day. That number increases to 62% for adolescents 12 to 17. The average American consumes 22 teaspoons of added sugar every day. That's nearly 400% the recommended amount. One 20-ounce bottle of soda contains 17 teaspoons of sugar. Yeah. Oh, my God. Lab studies have shown carbonated drinks contain phosphoric acid, which depletes calcium. Hmm. Soda is known to affect vitamin D absorption. By the way, lack of vitamin D is one of the major causes of depression. Huh. Yeah. Carbonated drinks are associated with the weakening of bones, osteoporosis, as well as hypertension. Now, by the way, guess who leads the world in deaths from COVID-19? United States. United States. Second is India, third is Brazil. So if you stop there, you would be led to believe, oh, the reason the United States and India and Bolivia lead the world in deaths from COVID-19 is very simple. They have the highest population, they have the second, third, and fourth largest populations in the world. Mm -hmm. Well, then you might ask, what is China with the largest population not in the top 10 list of deaths from coronavirus? That'd be an interesting question, but let's not go there yet. Our president doesn't like China, so we don't want to get him upset and talk about China. Okay. 
But that's not the picture because now if you look at the remaining list of top 10 countries' percentages of deaths compared to population, they're not huge population countries. You've got Bolivia, you've got Peru, you've got Colombia. Hmm. So what do, if you take the top 10 countries with the highest percentage of most deaths from COVID-19, all but one are countries with very high amounts of poverty. Right. Which makes sense. Yeah. But the United States... While we have more poverty than we should, given how wealthy we are, it's a crime that we have as much poverty as we do, but we don't nearly have as high a percentage of poverty here as most countries. Right. We are still the wealthiest country in the world. Yeah. India has huge. So why is it that we have so many people dying from COVID-19? Hello? What? And again, there's a lot of controversial data about COVID-19. I'm not going to get into the controversies. We're going to talk about what everyone agrees with, okay? Mm -hmm. There's no disagreement that those that are most vulnerable to COVID-19 are those who are clinically obese, type 2 diabetes, elderly with already weak immune systems, Mm -hmm. and those with chronic heart and lung disease. That's just a fact. Mm -hmm. Oh, What are the problems with drinking one to two cans of soda every day? Increased chance of obesity, type 2 diabetes, heart disease. Hello? Yeah. And yet, here comes the fun part. Again, laugh or cry. I suggest doing both. (laughs) You ready? Uh Uh-huh. According to a study in 2012... 80% of public schools in America have a contract with Coke or Pepsi for pouring rights. Hmm. They should call them diabetic, obesity, and uh, chronic disease (laughs) rights in high school vending machines. As reported in the nutrition newsletter Healthline last January, consider the ingredients in that 20-ounce bottle of cola that's in the vending machine probably in your kid's school. Mm -hmm. Carbonated water, natural and artificial flavors, caffeine, 17 teaspoons of sugar, all which add up to 250 calories. All of those empty calories put schools in a dilemma. They may not have wanted to give their students a sugar addiction, but they didn't want to walk away from millions of dollars in cash either. Well, that's the issue, really that we don't fund our schools well enough so that they don't need to have money from Coke and Pepsi. Hello? All right, now, if you think this is like, okay, these are like radical nutritionists, okay? On August 18th of 2018, the secretaries of agriculture under Clinton, Bush, and Obama These ain't radicals. Mm -hmm. These are bureaucrats. Wrote a letter that got published in a magazine called The Hill, which, quote, diet-related disease is the leading cause of death in the United States, surpassing tobacco, drug, and alcohol. 
More than 1,000 deaths every day are due to poor diets. Wow. I am not denigrating the importance and the, the significance of COVID-19. It's a serious virus. Can we get a perspective? Okay. COVID-19 is not killing a thousand people every day. Or, you know, causing things that eventually lead to premature death. Mm -hmm. Okay. Soda is. And because we don't fund our schools properly, schools have million dollar contracts with Coke and Pepsi so they can sell their toxicity to students every day. Exactly. In our in the in the very places that our kids are going to learn to get educated. Yeah. You can't you can't get more perverse than this. People made fun of Bloomberg when he tried to limit the amount of soda okay. that one could get and they said, Oh, nanny state and right. complained about it. And I'm not advocating this is just me now. I'm more of a libertarian. I'm not advocating that states make soda illegal. Right. What I would I think any intelligent person would advocate is that our government educate people. Yes. Educate us. You don't have to ban soda. Just educate us about the realities of soda. And, you and let and let I believe in caveat emptor. Let the buyer decide. And you don't have to put it in schools where children are there seeing it and wanting it and there's a part of me that would I don't like it. I don't like the trend it would create, but I probably would vote to have sodas, vending machines from Coke and Pepsi banned from schools. I think that probably, first of all, you could do it based, I mean, governments are allowed, they're doing it now. These There there are constitutional questions about the lockdown, whether they're constitutional or not mm-hmm. under COVID. But there's a lot of evidence that in the past, the Supreme Court has ruled and courts have ruled that certainly state governments have a right to protect citizens from right epidemics Uh Um, we get that but why aren't you then why aren't you banning sodas from schools from vending machines I'm not saying make them illegal in the culture if people if people want to smoke they should be able to smoke Mm -hmm. if people want to drink alcohol they should be allowed to drink alcohol if you want to drink soda go drink soda educate people and stop creating a situation where schools are put in a bind right where they don't want to give they 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 need the money. Exactly. And Coke and Pepsi's right there to give it to them. And we just don't fund schools and education in this country the way it should be. Again, from the letter, this is from the Secretaries of Agriculture under Clinton, Bush, and Obama, who are on the political spectrum, obviously anywhere from moderate to conservative. Mm-hmm. So far in 2020, about 221,000 people have died from poor diets compared to 165... I'm sorry, this is not them. This is me. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Abstracting from them. Okay, here's what they said. They said, Secretary of Agriculture under Clinton, Bush, and Obama, more than 1,000 deaths every day are due to poor diets. Wow. That's not just sodas. That's also right. all the chemical-laden food, McDonald's, Burger King, all the fast food, all that crap, right? All the stuff. 1,000 deaths a day, right? Right. Okay. Uh, would you ask uh, how many days so far? I did this last week, but how many days have uh, have gone by in uh, 2020? Uh, last week it was um, 
I did I did the math. And then we multiply that by a thousand, right? So it was two hundred and twenty one, I think, last week. It was probably about two hundred and thirty. Oh. Is it's it got to be over two hundred. We're more than no, it doesn't. We're I could be wrong. No, what uh, we're we're more than halfway through the year. One hundred and thirty eight days is what this says. That can't be right. Are remaining. Oh, they're remaining. Are remaining. So so, so take three sixty five. Hello, stupid thing. All That's right. not what I asked. All right, hang on here. Let me go to my calculator. Oh, thank God for smartphones. Um, and what did we say? We went 365 minus 138 or left? Uh, yeah. Okay, 227, right? Right. So there's 227 days have occurred, right? Well, if according to the Secretary of Agriculture, 1,000 people are dying due to poor diets, that means so far this year, 227,000 Americans wow. have died from poor diets. How many have died from COVID-19? Serious virus. About 160,000. 160, 65,000. So we, we can keep two thoughts in our brains at the same time. COVID-19 is a serious virus. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we're going to learn from it. So when the next one comes, and it's coming, yeah, um, we'll do better. Okay? <laughs> it's tragic when 160-some-odd thousand Americans die. But already this year... 227,000 have died from poor diets and 1,000 more today. Yeah. And yet, we have vending machines selling all that crap in schools. Right. Our country's insane. I'm sorry. We are, clinic we are clinically insane. And those are the lives we could help to save. Yeah. And choose not to. But we don't hear that being discussed in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, uh, Rachel Maddow, and yeah. what's it, Cooper? You know, you know, they don't talk about that. How, how many people die in car accidents and, and you know. Not going to ban cars. Not going to ban the, cars, so exactly. The, um, anyway, the point is all we're calling for here is perspective. That's all. Mm -hmm. Perspective. If you're going to put all that energy, which is understandable, into how to be safe, reopening schools during this pandemic, it might also be a good idea to have a discussion about what your kids are eating when they go to school. Yeah. And why? Now, a lot of it comes from home. A lot of it comes from just poor education. I empathize with a lot of people who are obese because they're just not educated. It's a crime. It should be, it should, why, if reading, writing, how is nutrition any less important than reading, writing, and arithmetic in terms of leading a, a good life? Tell me. A healthy life, an informed life. Okay. How is nutrition any less important than reading, writing, and arithmetic? How much nutrition is taught in schools? Um, I learned none. I don't remember learning any. None. Yeah. None. We're insane. We're insane. Yeah. <laughs> we had a competition when I was in elementary school about uh, what you have for breakfast every morning. Mm -hmm. And I just lied. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what I had growing up. Fruit Loops. Yeah. Frosted Flakes. Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts. Good Humor Bars. Um, pancakes with lots of syrup. And it was not pure. I'm sure. I guarantee you it was not yeah. organic, you know, maple, maple syrup. Maple syrup, yeah. Oh, here's another one. You health food love. And I, and I listen, I, I support health food stores. But. Do me a favor, okay? And let's be honest. Is honey 
an organic uh, maple syrup better for you than fructose than sugar yeah. yes but mono, it still breaks down as sucrose and if you have too much of it it still causes the problems because it breaks down as sugar right okay i'm not saying it isn't a better alternative i'm just saying if you're drinking if you're eating and consuming so much maple syrup and honey it's still going to break down as sugar it doesn't have as many chemicals, which is good. Okay. Right. But do me a favor, because I'm off sugar. Now, and again, I love food, and I I, I eat meat moderately, farm-raised only. Um, you know, I, I've learned not to be afraid of food uh-huh. and to enjoy good. You can balance healthy and great tasting. It's not that hard. Just look at the Mediterranean diet. You had no problem finding great food in Italy. No. no. It, they don't. You can't go to a supermarket and buy processed meat in Italy. Yeah. You, you, you. It comes from smaller farms. Right. Okay. Um. <laughs> okay. Do me a favor. What about what about salt? We'll hold. Can we do salt next week? We can do salt next week. <laughs> we'll do salt next week, and. Uh, and, and and we'll 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 do Sodom and Gomorrah. There you go. Uh, teaching tales, but so I'm I decided because I had an issue with see, one thing about the Catskill Mountains. I was when I lived in Woodstock. I live in Kingston now. It's not quite in the Catskill Mountains. Uh-huh. Catskill Mountains are beautiful and basically healthy, but they tend to be humid and clean, and they tend to have more yeast in the air. And I developed a sensitivity huh. to yeast. Okay, and so and sugar is very yeasty. So. I just decided, and I grew up on sugar, watching commercials and I, I, yeah. everything with sugar. I decided to get off sugar because I found some great substitutes, which we could talk about in another show. Okay. <laughs> great substitutes. Because um, we need some sweetness in life, okay? But do me a favor. Go to a health food store and go down the aisle of cereals, and I challenge you to find one that doesn't have some form of sugar in it. Mm-hmm. Which drives me crazy because just give us a choice. If you want to have a organic cornflakes and you want to add some maple syrup to it because people are addicted to sugar, fine. Right. But why can't you produce one that doesn't have that? Good luck finding it. Yeah. It took me a long time. That's in a health food store. Right. I know. We're just totally addicted. Yeah. I Absolutely. I'm addicted. Yeah. Salt, sugar. In moderation, it's okay. Yeah. One of my favorite phrases I learned early on was from a doctor friend of mine. Brilliant guy. It's such a great phrase because it's short, pithy, and so meaningful. And that phrase is, the devil is in the dose. Mm. The dose. That's good. So... Having a can of, of, and Coke and Pepsi are different because they have all sorts of chemicals in them. I mean, forget it. Don't even get me started. But there are, there are carbonated drinks that have less sugar and artificial chemicals in them than those. Having them once in a while is fine. Uh-huh. And by the way, diet sodas are probably worse than the, than the yeah. others. I, I, full disclosure, I drink soda. Mm-hmm. And recently I tried a Coke from Mexico that uses sugar and not fructose. 
and that's the way I grew up drinking it. I didn't like it as much. Mm. I'd gotten used to the fructose. Yeah. And and oh. yeah. Everyone do we, it again. I'm we, not for we, banning it. I'm just saying the stats are pretty clear. And um, there are alternatives. Mm-hmm. See, everyone thinks it's black and white. Oh, so now I can't have anything sweet. No. There's something called, uh, well, we won't get into it. <laughs> there, there are, I, do, do your research. Look, if you go to Italy or France or Spain and you order dessert, at a nice you know, corner store, you're going to get something fabulous. Mm-hmm. It's going to be small. Yes. It's going to be a small portion. And it, in Italians and the French, they're not going to have seconds. Right. So the devil is in yeah. the dose. That's right. I'm not saying don't eat sugar. I'm not saying, eat, I'm not even saying don't drink soda. Just the devil's in the dose. And the stats are clear. Even one of these sodas a day, these... High chemical Coke, Pepsi, the other whatever the, the other caffeine loaded ones. One a day is going to eventually increase your chances mm. significantly of serious health problems. Um, the devil's in the dose. Yeah, it's not a question of banning them or not having them. The question the question is watching our addictions. It's when you can't do a small portion. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was reminded of it. Oh, look, let's call Patrick. I think we got him. Okay. Hey, Patrick. Hey, you hey. my mind. Next week, you're going to do salt, man. <laughs> Let me tell you about sugar. I just went in and had a couple of big uh, tablespoons of honey, man. I just eat it that way all during the day, and I do bee pollen before I do my little workout trip, which is meaningless, but it keeps me in motion. <laughs> but, uh, I don't worry about that, man. My idea of breakfast, when I was 19, I joined the Air Force. I, I was 5'10", then. I don't know what I've shrunk to now. <laughs> but I was 5'10", and I weighed 131, dude. And my idea of breakfast was a powdered sugar donut, a cup of black coffee, and a small orange aid at Needix. Lunch was a 40-cent hero and a quart of beer. Dinner was <laughs> something you skipped, <clears throat> or maybe you ate a a burger, you know, something like that while you were out drinking. And uh, I was fit as a fiddle. I was brought up on sugar, man, and uh, I laced into it. And I don't <clears throat> I don't drink soda. I, <clears throat> I'm clearing my throat right now because I just, <laughs> I'm swallowing some bee pollen. <laughs> I love them bees, baby. And uh, anyway, I can't tell anybody what to do because I've done everything wrong as hell. I remember word, you got started with words today, and you freaked me out because you do this prescient thing with me. I write stuff down during the week, and then you guys talk about it on the weekend. Like words. You started in with words, like time and stuff. I'll tell you about words, man. I'm hanging on the corner. I'm like 11 years old, and I announced that i got to go take a leak. And uh, my mother says, oh, oh, can't you say tinkle? <laughs> where every third word out of my mouth is either an F-bomb or a mother bomb. And uh, that was just how we talked from being there. And my mother is laying all this lame stuff on me, man. So it was beautiful, but very disheartening for her, I'm sure. 
And then George came out and did even worse. He took it on TV and stuff like this, man. And he was going to be the good boy uh, to bail her out after me being such a weird. Anyway, the clock tripper, sure, that's all about praying and caring. I don't think I've worn a watch for maybe 50 years, maybe more. Uh, George laid a Rolex on me one time, and it went right to the drawer. It was, I didn't even know it was right. I didn't know Rolex meant anything. And uh, I remember the clock because I was getting, in first grade, the nuns would keep me after school if you were bad. So that meant every day for me. <laughs> and it was like, not with other kids. I just sat in the room looking at the old Seth Thomas clock, man, waiting for it to go from 3 o'clock till 4 o'clock and wondering how dark it was going to get because it's getting to be wintertime. But I didn't care, man, because I was at ease in the city. And uh, it, was a, it was a challenging thing. I rode the bus on Riverside Drive and all. So I watched the clock then when I'd be in detention. And I would watch it in high school when I'd be in detention. And I got to tell you something about time, man. It's a bogus word. Uh, I haven't paid attention to it for a long time. It's always now. And when you talk about those time tunes, that's a funny one by the Stones. I like that. But the one that really says it all, and I I write a little something on these yellow pages every day, and some of it's actually worth saving. And uh, I can't get poetic about it, and I just say this. If you're dwelling on yesteryear, that's not good. They just closed the newsroom at the Daily News, okay? That's a big chapter closing in my life, because I worked in a newspaper, the Journal American. And if you'd be going home at night, say you're out drinking, and you didn't pick up a chick, and now you just want to get back uptown from, like, 80th Street, and there's no cabs, and you're on Amsterdam Avenue, and the daily news truck is going by, throwing off the bundles on the corners for the guys in the morning, and all you had to shout was, Keo! And that truck would stop, dude, and then you'd trot over to me and say, hey, man, can I get a lift uptown? I'm Patrick Carter, and I worked down the Journal American. As long as you worked on a fellow newspaper, man, you were good for a lift. Drop me off on 22nd. And there you go, man. That was life in the olden days. And I wrote a little thing. I said, it used to be nice. It used to be clear. You could buy a 10-cent beer. But my diet was always rotten. Uh, when I would leave the house in the summertime and you're a young kid running the streets, lunch was whatever candy bars you could cop, you know, while the guy wasn't looking. <laughs> and uh, that was lunch, and uh, or you'd steal something out of a bakery. But uh, that, that was all good chow, and I ate everything that came my way. I've been down the meat trail. I drank every kind of alcohol there was. I, I never cared about sodas. I never cared about sodas. And uh, that's just a thing. But I don't do tobacco. I don't do alcohol. But I, I do them because I don't such thing as moderation. Don't ever talk to me about moderation. I never dude. have. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. So it's Patrick, better for moderation. me. Like I just, I just leave, leave certain things alone, and I wish other people well. I had a buddy. Uh, he was a bass player, and he passed a kidney stone one time, and he said it was like passing a bowling ball with spikes on it. Man. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I tried to that. avoid that. And uh, you, you know, you got to do certain things. You got to pay attention. The main idea is staying out of the way. I hear a lot of stuff from very heavy people, and they say stuff about intuition and things like that. Or Marlene will spot something somewhere and say, I say oh, yeah, she says, oh, well, you've, you've always been like that. Well, yeah, it have, I don't know what it was, man, and I don't ask and I don't care. But uh, there's a lot of stuff that I learned from watching other people, and I lay back on that. I say, hey, oh, Patrick, no, man, I, Patrick yeah. I just came up with a portmanteau. What's that? A patricosophy. Oh, my God, no. Spare me. <laughs> no, you know what that is? No. 
that's, that's I came the, up with a portmanteau one time when I was working on the Alan Thick show, bro. Let me tell you something about executives and suits and stuff. I came up with a word called bogosity. Bogosity? Which is bogus and monstrosity together. <laughs> and I That's told good. Alan Key, I told Alan Thick <clears throat> that and all, and it went over the air and everything. And Fred Silverman thought it was nowhere. He didn't like it. And I'm down on the street, man, and a black lady comes up to me and she says, Hey, man, she said, I heard you do that bogosity thing last night. Great word. So I went over with the people in the street and not the big execs. And that don't matter anyway. Cause well, I you know, you know what Patrick Ossoff is? When I split that gig. Patrick? And then Alan came and bailed me back. And Patrick? You, can you know what Patrick? And that. Patrick? That's life, man. Life is about being yourself. Patrick, and dealing my favorite part of the show is trying to stop him. Time thing, it's like trying to stop a, a, a train going 80 miles an hour. Every minute count. You know? I'm speechless. Yeah. Patrick, Patrick Ossoff is a combination of Patrick and philosophy. And that's what we get every week. We always could use an injection of. Our favorite street philosopher. Give our best to the family, and we'll talk to you next week, our friend. All right. Stay that mask on, dude. Okay, pal. Be well. <laughs> All right. One good thing about wearing masks, you can't be drinking Coke. And uh, soda there you go. You anyway, uh, we're going to take our break. We've just destroyed an over an hour of radio time. <laughs> we'll come back, and uh, we'll talk with the Soul of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini. We'll open up the Woodstock Roundtable jukebox, and... We'll dive a little more into this question of time. We didn't quite get into that, but uh, we're having fun here at the Woodstock Roundtable. Sugar. 